Welcome to the Books and Travel podcast. I'm Jo Francis Penn, thriller and dark fantasy author, bringing you escape and inspiration about unusual and fascinating places, as well as the deeper side of books and travel. You can find the episode show notes at booksandtravel.page. And if you enjoy thrillers set in international locations, download one of my ebooks for free at jfpen.com forward slash free. Hello, travellers. I'm Jo Francis Penn. And in this episode, I talk to C.L. Stambush about her book, Untethered, A Woman's Search for Self on the Edge of India. We discuss how to adopt an untethered attitude to life, especially when it comes to expectations of travel. And Connie talks about how her experience of motorcycling around India taught her more about herself, as well as how she brings that to her daily life. We also talk about connecting with people across cultural and language barriers, when taking risks is worth it, and how we need to keep pushing the boundaries of our comfort zone to live a more expansive life. I hope you enjoy the interview with Connie today. C.L. Stambush is an award-winning writer, journalist, editor and author of Untethered, A Woman's Search for Self on the Edge of India. So welcome, Connie. Thank you. I'm excited to be here, Joe. Oh, yeah, this is such an interesting topic. So you traveled around the edge of India by motorcycle back in the late 90s. So tell us, why did you choose that trip in particular? What led to that happening, especially back then when it really wasn't so common? Exactly. No, that journey was a long time in the coming. I would date it all the way back to when I was in kindergarten or first grade when I was a very shy kid and I just hugged the wall, kept one shoulder to the wall at all times. But as I became aware of what I was doing, I didn't like this aspect of myself and I felt like I was really losing out on engaging in life because I just kind of watched it from the sidelines. So over the years, I wanted to become braver and put myself in situations like forcing myself to stay up and watch scary movies or get past this very scary stuffed bear in the museum alone and just kept pushing myself farther and farther. And so by the time I got to India, which is in itself is a very long convoluted story, I was working for a pharmaceutical company and they were downsizing and I never imagined that I would leave the United States. And I literally had this overnight revelation where I just woke up the next morning and said, I quit. I sold everything that I had. I bought a backpack, flipped a coin, bought a one-way ticket, landed in Germany and kind of went, uh-oh, because I didn't really have a plan or anything as to what I would do. And from there, I progressed on through Europe and then Eastern Europe and then the Middle East. And I wound up working in India as an editor for a wire service, the women's feature service. And then when that contract ended, I decided I was ready to leave Delhi, but not ready to leave India. I didn't want to see India on India's public transportation. So the motorcycle seemed the most obvious thing for me to do because everybody had a Royal infill bullet. You had this wonderful thump, thump, thump sound And it just sort of called out to me. So I decided I'm just going to do this. 
So interesting. And we're going to go back into the book, but I just have to ask, as a child, you decided to become braver and force yourself to try these things. And then, like you said, you quit, you sold everything. There's definitely something in your personality that makes decisions quite quickly and then does these difficult things. But of course, this book is set back in the 90s. So how has this attitude to travel and taking risks, I guess, impacted your life since then? Because you've got this lovely memoir, but that's not the end of your story. <laughs> no, <laughs> no. I, I think that it has allowed me to take even greater risks that I probably wouldn't have. So let's say when I came back, I decided I wanted to get a master's degree. And so again, I just up and left what I had going on here and went to New York and got a degree from Sarah Lawrence College in creative nonfiction writing and then came back. So it has given me that freedom to understand that the world was that the world will keep going and keep getting better for you if you just keep trying the things that you want to do but are a little hesitant to do anyway. You know, it, it, nothing comes to a crashing end when you try something new. Usually it works out better. Mm, I like that. We'll come back to courage, but let's step into the book. Now, I've been in India a number of times. And of course, much of India is ancient as well. And there's some really beautiful places. So what are some of the most memorable places that still stand out for you, even all these years later, either because of beauty or an emotional or spiritual resonance? Um, I had lived in India for uh, over three years by the time I took this journey. So I had traveled to various places. And then when I did this travel journey, I was basically on the edge. So not necessarily in some of India's most calling type places. But during my time in India, the places that stand out to me would be the desert. I've always drawn to the desert, Jaisalmer. And then also the mountains and South India, because the it's just so much lush, uh, lusher and greener down there. But in terms of the things that stand out to me, it's not really place, but people by and far. And I met just so many amazing people while I was there, even people I didn't necessarily have a conversation with or engage with, just people that were friendly and were waving. You know how they are there. They're very happy and very interested in travelers. Mm. So tell us about some of those people you met then and what you particularly remember even after all this time. Well, first of all, as a woman alone riding a motorcycle, I didn't really look like a woman. I looked like a Westerner. I had full gear on. I had a motorcycle helmet on and they couldn't really tell that I was a woman. But at one point, it was early on in my journey and I was riding along the highway. And in front of me was this overloaded truck with all these women that had been gathered from a field where they were out working and were being taken back home again. And they were very listless and very inattentive and just sort of worn out from working in the hot fields all day. And one of them began to watch me. And as she watched me, she became more intent as to try to figure out who I was. Then she began to nudge the woman next to her. And soon they're all kind of looking at me and smiling really big because they're, they're recognizing that this is a woman doing something that women just don't do in India, which is one, being on a motorcycle at that time, as well as traveling alone. And then it was just great. They just all smiled and waved and it was just really uplifting. There were many experiences where I ran into women. There was another time when I got stopped at a train station and or a train track. 
and there was no train on the track, but the barriers were down. And the minute I stopped as a foreigner, the men would sort of begin to crush in on me because of the space or the lack of space that we have between our, the U.S. culture and the Indian culture. And so they get quite close to me and kind of closed in on me. And it was very hot. And I began to take off my gear a little bit at a time, right? And the minute they noticed that I was a woman, they didn't know what to do with me at that point. So they all just kind of stepped back. But this gave an opportunity for these tribal women who had been standing at a far off distance with some of their sheep flock. And they had been watching, but there had been no opportunity for them. So when the men moved away, the women just moved in and they wanted to feel my hair and compare it to their hair and feel my skin and compare it to their skin. And I felt like at that point, because I was quite lonely on the road, and this was even still within the first month or so of my journey, that it was it was just really a lovely experience to feel that I wasn't so alone. Because riding a motorcycle as a woman alone in India, I felt very much like an outlier. And to have these women come up and tell me, we get you, you're different, we're different. It was just a very beautiful connecting moment for me. Mm, yeah I mean it's one of the things isn't it with travel that that you feel there are always people who can help I mean I was cycling in India and I came off my bike it was after the monsoon rains and I came off my bike in this tiny village and cut my knee and I was in shock and I was on the ground I was crying my eyes out and all these like you say all these women came out and brought water and tried to help me and we didn't share the language although a lot of Indians obviously speak English but I just remember everyone was so kind and there's that human connection even if you're a very very different person from a different culture right? I agree I think that's what travel really does is it breaks down all these us and thems that we have in our mind when we're back in our own culture when we're back in our own hometown when we're back in our own familiar settings. But when we're out, all of that is just stripped away. And it's just people connecting to people, which I think is the most beautiful thing. Well, you mentioned there about being a woman alone and that example with the personal space, I felt that too. And <laughs> it can feel quite claustrophobic. It can be quite scary. So what fears did you face along the way? You must have <laughs> gone through some really difficult times and how did you overcome them? I think by then I had become a much stronger person, obviously, than the person I started out as a child. I had been working for very, very hard and very long to become braver. But it is a scary thing to be out there on your own. And I found that when I was not in sort of threatening situations, but just in situ, I I would use my height to create a larger presence for myself in a space, you know, as a woman alone. I found that to be an effective thing, just to stand taller, to feel broader in just in the normal space of walking down the street. I didn't have a lot of scary experiences, but I had some. Uh, For instance, I believe that all the gear really sort of made me stand out and made me, like I said earlier, a very other type person. But there was a time when these children came up to me and they wanted to shake hands and I was very obliging and they were very fun, but they just kept on. And then this little old man came along and they pushed him into me. 
And they had become rather menacing, right? They wanted, I don't know what they wanted, but they weren't just happy children any longer. So they pushed this old man into me and I got very, very angry, not at the children so much, but at the kind of cultural circumstances that were allowed this. And all these men then crowded in on me and I ended up slapping one of them. And ended up chasing him down an, an alleyway, which was a very scary experience because I had become somebody quite other than anything that I knew at all. And it wasn't until I tripped and fell that I came to my senses. Wow, that seems that's <laughs> quite an extreme reaction. And yeah, and to find yourself or to, I guess, to put yourself in that situation. Now, I guess you, the way you're talking, it's like you, you learned these lessons to make yourself less afraid. But I mean, I'm certainly listening going, I, I would not cycle around India alone. I wouldn't do that. And I know a lot of people listening would feel the same. And, but there's lots of things that we can be scared of that stop us in life, even if those things are smaller than the journey you did. So what are some of the ways that you might encourage people listening to, you know, some people would say, oh, I'm not, I couldn't even travel to India from the US or I've met people in the US. Like I've been speaking in the US, say in New York, and someone would say to me, oh, you've been to New Orleans. I've never been there. I just couldn't do that. I couldn't. And I'm like, it's in your country. How, How have you not traveled that far? So how can people get over the fears of things being different? And what are your thoughts on how other people could do that? I think that's a great question. I, I would hear people when I lived in the downtown section of my hometown, I would have people tell me, oh, I would never live down there. Or I won't even go down there. I don't think that's safe. So I really think it starts in our mind, what we think of someplace. And maybe these are places we don't even know. So we have to begin to educate ourselves on what those places are and who those people are. And I just feel like in my experience, when I'm in a place that that I don't know. It's the people that make me feel welcome there. I find people everywhere make me feel welcome when I go to these places, whether you go to New Orleans or to India. And I get that, that riding a motorcycle is certainly not for everyone. And it's not even for the majority. But going outside of your comfort zone is something that we can do in small ways, even if it's just like a small thing like, oh, I would never feel comfortable eating in a restaurant by myself. Well, that's a kind of a small thing that we can do and we can get used to that. And when we get used to that, we find that there's nothing really bad happening to us. We just perceive that something bad would happen or we would feel not comfortable there. But then when we experience it, we understand that it is okay. And that kind of inches you along, I think, Mm. to try different things. You know, it's not a big leap. I didn't go from living in Evansville, Indiana to riding a motorcycle. There were so many little incremental steps along the way that you just keep like elevating to the next level. It's interesting. I agree. This sort of pushing out of the comfort zone and particularly during the pandemic, I really felt that my comfort zone shrank and we all were so trapped in our areas and I walked the same paths around and around. And it took quite a lot for even someone like me, and I've traveled a lot, lived all over the world, to push myself back out there again. Is that something that happened to you or have you found that just incrementally you've been able to keep pushing this comfort zone out? Oh, I think that when you stop doing it, then when you try to start doing it again, it gets harder. You've kind of lost some ground. 
don't you? I mean, like once you're in the groove of keep pushing yourself out there, then it gets more and more comfortable. When, when you stop doing that, you stall a little bit and you've got a little bit of a restart to get going again. I think that's pretty usual for most people. Mm, And I almost feel like if you don't keep pushing it outwards, it it shrinks you and shrinks you and shrinks you. And that's why a lot of older people, I feel as you get older and obviously maybe you don't want to travel so much (laughs) in your (laughs) 80s, for example. But I feel like if you don't push it, then it will kind of come closer to you and shrink you. So, yeah, I really I just felt personally that my life had shrunk a lot more in the pandemic. And part of this podcast was really just keeping my own horizons expanding. Yes. I I mean, I do think you're right. I think if you're not moving forward, then you could be sliding backwards. And I think having that awareness of who you want to be and where you want to be and the type of person you want to be and keep pushing yourself out that way. My mom's a great example of somebody who who does the things she knows she needs to do, even though she would rather not do them. So like forces herself to go out and she's in her nineties now. So she forces herself to go out to do things just to keep engaged with other people when it would be easier just to not go out. So maybe Mm. I get that from her. Yeah. And I think you're right. And also the wonderful thing about travel is that you're meeting people in real life. Whereas I feel like a lot of the media, a lot of social media, we get the wrong idea and we might find things that reinforce stereotypes or that are completely wrong half the time. So it's almost like going to these places and challenging what we think we know often makes us see that we didn't know it after all, especially in a huge place like India, which is so diverse. Yes. And I think that's very good. There's a line I think that the Buddha said is, don't believe everything you think. And I really try to remember that because that is so true. When we think we know something and then we meet the thing that we think we understand, we usually find out, okay, I was completely wrong, at least in my experience. Mm. Well, what were you wrong about then on that motorcycle trip? Oh, I don't know that I was wrong so much about anything on the motorcycle trip because I sort of took it moment by moment. I just, I tried to get through, look, I had no experience riding a motorcycle. I had taken a one-week course in Indiana. So there were 12 motorcycles in an empty parking lot, which does not at all prepare you to be on a motorcycle. In India. In a country <laughs> like India, where there are billions of vehicles on the road. Oh, my neighbor had given me really great advice. He said, just practice, practice stopping was his advice. Yeah. Uh, when I got back, when I got the motorcycle in India. And so then I just sort of took it slow and got used to it and got comfortable with it and then took it out on the road. And I didn't have these big objectives to meet each day. I just wanted, to, I in the beginning, I could not ride very far at all, a couple of hours and I was aching very much and it was very hot and it was very hard and the roads could be very dangerous and there would be traffic coming at you and not necessarily staying on their side of the road. And But the longer I did it, the more miles I got under me, the more comfortable I got with it all. So on the motorcycle, you named it Carly, a goddess I also (laughs) identify with and wrote about in in a thriller of mine, Destroyer of Worlds. But a lot of people listening might not know anything about Carly. So tell us more and why you chose that name. Oh, she's the goddess, the most badass goddess that there is, I think. There are about 33 recognized gods and goddesses and something like 330 million sort of additional ones that not everybody agrees on. But she's one of the main Hindu goddesses. And she has 
she is just half benevolent and half warrior, but she comes across her, all the images of her are very fierce. And why I chose her is because one of the things that she's known for is revealing our true selves. And in a quest to discover who I was, she seemed not only like the right goddess to have as a partner with me, but the right one to help me on this particular journey, which I'm trying to identify who I really am and who I really want to be. I mean, you say fierce, but most of the images of Carly are holding a decapitated head and there's all yeah. these hands and it basically death and multiple yeah. arms and pretty, pretty scary. So, I, I mean, that that's a more extreme version. If you when you told people along the way, did people find out and were people surprised that you even chose this goddess? No, they didn't seem surprised. And I had the Kali stenciled on the side of the tank in Hindi. So people recognized it. And one way along the lines, I was in a hotel and the hotel clerk gave me a note from a traveler who had left me a note who had seen me arrive on this motorcycle. This just comes back to the people who are just so helpful and so encouraging along the way, who had seen me arrive on the motorcycle and left me a note telling me that he wished me to the writer of Kali, uh, wish you all the best of luck in your journey. That's lovely. And so how did religion or spirituality play a part in your journey other than just the name of the bike? And did you visit any particular temples along the way? Because there was an underlying theme there, wasn't there? It was, yes. So in order to sort of navigate around this large country on its own, I decided that as a woman trying to find out who she was, trying to sort of re- put together the type of person I wanted to be, that I would visit the Kali temples. Now, the Kali temples are 52 and or 51, depending on which version you, you read, of these uh, pieces of the goddess Kali that fell to earth. And then these Shakti Peak temples sprang up. So they are power temples. And each one of these temples has a piece of the god goddess. So my plan was to visit each of the temples and reassemble Kali as I went along the way. But I discovered that I really didn't enjoy visiting the temples. And when that discovery came to my mind, I realized that I had sort of created that as almost a crutch for myself and that I no longer needed that. Mm, It's interesting because I do feel like having a deeper meaning or having a framework for a journey in the way that you did there is better than just saying, I'm just going to motorcycle all the way around India. Mm -hmm. I almost feel like you, even though you changed what you wanted, it did start you out with a direction that was more than just get on the road. I mean, do you think that kind of plan did help you? Oh, absolutely. Yes. I think what it taught me was what I took away when I felt like I no longer needed to find, because for one reason, they were very difficult to find. I had a map, I had locations, but people didn't always agree on which was a Shakti Peak temple and which wasn't. So they became increasingly difficult to discover the actual temple. Now, I knew that I wanted to make it to the end and reached the Kali temple in for the Kali puja. And I managed to do that, but it certainly did give me that kind of understanding that I needed this into the beginning. And then when I realized, Hey, I don't really need this. That felt like a growth for me. 
You know, that was what Kali was sort of doing for me because she is the goddess of rebirth. And almost that sometimes the search for self involves something dying in order for something new to be reborn. And she's definitely the goddess of death. So, yeah, I like that. So, when I heard the title of your book, Untethered, I knew I wanted to talk to you because I have also got Untethered as a title, a draft title for a book, which I've had around for a while. It might be around for as long as yours was. (laughs) But what does that (laughs) word untethered mean to you? That's a great question. I feel like because I felt as a child, this sort of like bound and tied to and and sort of stuck to this wall that that being untethered was both a physical and but more a psychological undertaking so i wasn't physically scared any longer or attached to this wall but untethered for me is really a state of mind the way you look at things and i saw myself much younger and even as a teen very attached to certain things but as I became untethered, I became unburdened by, by the things that I thought I believed. I felt like that they, in the end, sort of were weighing me down as well. So was that also about the USA? Because I feel like that a lot of Americans who've traveled a lot or who end up as living as expats in other country, they are trying to untether themselves from what being American is. So is that something that you were trying to untether from? And how have you gone back? I don't think I was trying to untether from being an American. I think when I was out in the world, I felt like I needed to be a representative of a good American. I met a lot of travelers who were Americans who would have Canadian flags on their backpacks and things like that. But I always felt like it was it was up to me to show the world that the way that they see Americans isn't necessarily true, you know, through my own actions. And so being untethered is really the way you look at your life, whether you see yourself tied down or you see yourself free, I think really became a state of mind for me. And then when you returned to the USA, and like you said, you studied a master's and you're in quite, I guess, traditional industry now with the publishing industry and writing. And so how have you retained that sense of being untethered, even as you've gone back home? I think it's the constant moment by moment where you keep asking yourself, is what I'm doing now or about to do uh, take me to where I want to be? You know, as far as a state of mind, if you just sort of don't pay attention any longer to what you're doing, you can slide into being back to where you, a person that you didn't want to be. So for me, it's just a constant moment by moment of trying to figure out, will thinking this way free me or enslave me? And what's an example of that? Oh, I imagine in American politics or just seeing people as what we think that they are rather than seeing them for who they are. I mean, everybody's got the good and the bad in them. So you mean looking at other people in terms of an untethered attitude? I I guess I thought it was more about living your life with a certain amount of freedom in terms of, I don't know, for example, not buying a house would be an untethered way of living. Yes. 
Yes. I still do not own a house. I, <laughs> and I think you're right. I recently was looking at buying houses and thought, again, no, that is like an anchor for me. So you're right. That would be an untethered way of living. But I also think it's not just the physical tethering to the ground, that a grounding. I feel grounded now that I'm back in the United States, but I don't feel tied down. I feel like I have the freedom to do the things that I want to do because the trip taught me that. In fact, all the travel taught me that but that I can pick the time in which I want to do them now. This is something I ponder about a lot because up and really up until the pandemic, I didn't feel like I had a home and that that didn't matter because I like this idea of being untethered and I can find, I can make a home wherever I am in the world. Right. And like you, I've lived all over the place. And so, and maybe home is the people that you love, things like that. But I'm starting to change my mind. (laughs) I have bought a house in a community and I almost feel like I'm putting down roots. And that's kind of scary for someone like me who wants the freedom and to be untethered. So what do you think about the word home and putting down roots? Are those things that you think about or want? They are. And like you, Joe, I feel like I could make a home anywhere. And, but I have been thinking about if I did make a home, what would that home be, right? I would want a small home so that I wouldn't feel as anchored by it. I have gotten rid of a lot of possessions. The more you're, the more I'm in one place, the more I gather. So I try to keep an eye and a mind on exactly how I can keep letting things go, keep sort of untethering myself from the sort of physical world like that. But yeah, I mean, I think it's nice to think about nesting. It's nice to be in home and have your things around you. It's hard to be on the road for a long period. I was on the road for five months with nothing more than would fit into the set, a couple of bags on a motorcycle. That is a very stripped down sort of way of living. Mm, It's very tiring, isn't it? Like I had someone on the show recently, I can't remember who it was, but she said the work of travel, (laughs) which is finding somewhere to sleep that night and getting the money right and trying to, you know, in India, finding water that you can drink. And There's work associated with active travel, I guess. There really is. And it is, it's on a level that we don't think about when we're in our own environment, right? The things that we take for granted. But when you're out in the world and you're really stripped down of all those securities, you do have to work at finding those sort of basic things again. And sometimes that's also quite nice in our in our local environment is to try and look at things with the eyes of a traveler and kind of figure out what would be difficult if someone comes to our country. I mean, when I first went back to the USA after the pandemic, a country that I've been traveling to for decades, I felt like a stranger for the first time in in a long time. I was I saw some weird things about America that I hadn't really noticed before. So do you notice things with the eyes of a traveler now? I hope so. I hope that I still keeping that fresh in in myself. I often will, I do not walk, I try not to walk the same paths. Like I'm always trying to shake it up. I try to go down alleys because they're very overlooked pathways in our city, but you get a completely different perspective when you go down an alley than you go down the front of a street. So I constantly try to push myself to change it up. Mm. So that I can keep seeing things fresh and new, because I do think that is the danger to fall back into not questioning things to not asking why is that way or how can I see this different or how would this person see this because it's easy to become complacent like that. 
Mm. And then it turns into a sort of jaded, take it for granted attitude, which is why I think people sometimes are unhappy is because they're not looking at things with new eyes and trying new things. (laughs) That's very true. Yeah, that's a good point. I also think people, they just believe what they think and they don't even know why they think that way. Mm. And that questioning can really help. But I want to come back to your subtitle, which was A Woman's Search for Self on the Edge of India. So how did that go? <laughs> how is your search for <laughs> self? And are you still looking? <laughs> as as you as I alluded to earlier, I became someone that I did not expect that I would be. I would have never predicted that kind of behavior in myself. And it came as sort of a a culmination to many things. If you read the book, you'll find out the way the experiences I had, the sort of feeling very tired, the heat of it, the emotional isolation of it, that became very stressful and heavy for me. And then when I was in this situation, I really just felt like I cracked and went over the edge. And then I literally went over an edge when I chased someone. And that is not at all who I am. But I I think it showed me that I have the potential to be people I don't know that I can be good or bad. And that is, I I mean, I do feel like when you take these trips, when you travel in a certain way with, with this openness, it doesn't end up the way you expected or the way you planned. And if it did, I guess it would just be a holiday. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I think we can take that even to, to our hometown, own town roots too, because if we have these expectations of people just in our everyday lives, that often doesn't turn out the way we expected or wanted either. So if we just keep that open mind and that open heart and that mindful presence in each moment without putting the expectations on things, that's where the disappointment comes when we expect something to go one way, but it doesn't. That's fantastic. So this is the books and travel show. So apart from your own book, what are some that you recommend about travel in India or just travel in general? Oh, there are so many good books out there. So many written by women that really helped me even understand uh, the kind of story that I wanted to tell. I think one of the first ones that comes to mind is Robin Davidson's Tracks, a woman's solo trek across 1,700 miles of Australian outback. And in this, she's just this woman who decides she's going to get these camels, and she's never handled camels ever, and then take them across this huge journey. So I thought that was very inspiring to see women doing things that women aren't really expected to do. The other one would be Cheryl Strayed's Wild lost and found on the Pacific Crest Trail. I thought that was a a great book to really understand what it was like for her, again, to do something that she wasn't really experienced or, or trained or skilled to actually do. But she learned and she grew into that as she went. As far as being in India, one of my favorites is Hindu Holiday, which is a very old book by J.R. Ackerley, and I think it was published in 1932, but it's very funny and it takes you into the day to day life of someone living and working in India, in New Delhi, I think, maybe not New Delhi, but in India. And then the other one would be William Dalrymple's City of Dijins, which is about his year of living in Delhi. And again, there are all sorts of characters that he meets and culture clashes where his own culture and his own expectations are really turned upside down when he's in a different situation. 
And then how do you deal with that? Mm, Yeah, I've read most of those and all fantastic books. So where can people find you and your book online? My book is just about everywhere. It is, of course, on Amazon. It is in Barnes and Noble. If you want to have your anywhere in the world, if you wanted to have your local bookstore order it, they can order it through Ingram Sparks Global Distribution. There is a paperback. There is an ebook. And hopefully by the end of the year, there will be an audiobook of it as well. My website is www.clstambush.com. Fantastic. Well, thanks so much for your time, Connie. That was great. Thank you so much. It was enjoyed talking with you. Thanks for joining me today on the Books and Travel podcast. I hope you found a moment of escape. You can find the episode show notes at booksandtravel.page. And if you enjoy thrillers set in international locations, download one of my books for free at jfpen.com forward slash free. Happy travels until next time.